There we go. Say it again. Good morning. Bless you. Thank you for being here. Uh, as Pastor Johanna said, man, it's a busy season, I know, for a lot, a lot of us, but uh, let's not forget, amen, what it's about. Uh, you, you guys come now Wednesday night. That's this Wednesday. We'll do our question and response. I just, I just don't call it answers because I don't always have the answers. But sometimes you ask some really good, tough questions, and I'm very comfortable with saying I don't know. How about that? Isn't that refreshing? Um, and uh, so come out and be with us. Uh, we'll be back in the fellowship hall, 6.30, and then 7, and we come in here and uh, have a good time. Amen? I mean, it's enjoying those Wednesday nights. It's, as long as you, it's a blessing to you, I'll keep doing them. And uh, I'm trying to just help you on this journey because and, and it's, it really only applies to people that really read their Bible. But if you read your Bible, you're going to come up with some questions. Because there's sometimes very, let's admit it, very difficult uh, passages. Uh, and uh, that's a lot of times the, the kind of uh, questions that we get. But we're excited, excited to have the, the uh, candlelight communion service on that 23rd. And uh, so, you know, we won't keep you long that night, but, uh, but uh, we want to honor God that weekend. Amen. And so we saw a lot of other churches are are doing that as well, and, and I think it's a good uh, good idea to do it that way, and and uh, so come come and be part of that. We pretty much do a candlelight communion here every Christmas, so it's always a blessing, just a very uh, intimate time. Wasn't the worship great today? Amen. It was uh, so good. Thank you, Demetia and the team. And, and the thing, you know, while that was going on, I, you know, just of course that verse, and a lot of times preachers will quote that verse, to make them feel better when there's not a big crowd. <clears throat> but the Bible, Jesus said, where two or three of you gather together in my name, there am I. There am I in the midst. <clears throat> so he, it's a promise, just like any other promise God gives us, and it's a promise of presence. He promised us that there would be something special. Uh, now, he's always with us, and he's always in us, but he promised that there would be a special presence, manifest presence. And when you come together, when you rub up against, so to speak, one another in relationship, and, and when Pastor Johanna was saying that, and, and it has been consistent. Man, I've been doing this for over 42 years now. can't believe I can even say that. Uh, that's as long as my granddaddy did it. He was a holiness Baptist pastor for 42 years, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surpass that, I hope, <laughs> on the calendar. And... Uh, it just sounds so strange in my own ears to say that. But, what, but the point is, this is a fact, and I'm going to let you be seated. Uh, do what she said. You know, a lot of times people's hearts, it seems like, I don't know, you know, two times a year around uh, Easter, Passover, uh, and that season, and also around Christmas, people's hearts are a little bit more turned to be open to hearing uh, the gospel. And take advantage of that. And it don't matter what church, what statistic, uh, it's always well above 80% when you poll people. The reason they're in any church anywhere is because a friend, somebody invited them. Somebody invited them. They're not there because they saw an advertisement. They're not there because they read a billboard. They're not there because they saw you're on Facebook. They're just not. And you're looking at a pastor. When I pastored Cornerstone, man, we did all of that. Plus, I was on TV uh, every Sunday. For six years. Y'all didn't know I was famous, right? Now that did bring out some weird people to the church. Uh, uh, it really did. I don't want to get into those stories. But uh, some of whom we had called a police to, <laughs> to get out. It was a weird time. I didn't realize when you went on TV. I never wanted to be on TV. My elders uh, there wanted me to go on television. And, and we finally did. We was on Channel 10. Anybody remember that? We was on, I was on Channel 10 at Albany, NBC, every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. Most of you were still sleeping at 7 on Sundays. And we were on in Savannah. I was on, uh, on the uh, UPN network in Savannah because we had churches in those areas. And uh, I was on in Atlanta. I was on in Dallas, Texas for one year. And all kind of places that, that, uh, that we were there. And, you know, I never asked anybody while we was on the air for a penny. Isn't that refreshing? And I didn't sell any special oil or special cloths either. We just... 
We trusted God and He provided for us. Amen? Amen. Today, I, uh, I want to talk to you about a place for grace. And, uh, and I'm not talking about Grace Point, but this is a place for grace. But when you read the Bible, when you see Jesus and how He lived and what He did and what He said, uh, He was always extending grace to people that the religious crowd did not uh, seem to think they deserved any grace. And that's probably because they didn't understand what grace really is. Grace is not a, you should know this by now here if you come here often, but grace is not a doctrine, it's not a teaching, it's not a six-week seminar. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so that, that is so clear uh, in, in Scripture that grace is a person. The Bible says we are saved by grace. Who do you think that is? Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith in him. That's what brings salvation. Uh, in, into our lives. And so Jesus was always extending that grace. The Bible says the grace of God for salvation has appeared to how many men? All men. Does that include women? Where are my women at? It's, uh, it includes the women too. So the grace of God has appeared to every one of us. You can be seated. I just feel like talking to you. Uh, there's a sermon I've never preached. The title seems may would be weird to you, but it's called The Wounding of Grace. The Wound of Grace. And what that is, grace is very humiliating to a person because you are, you are receiving that that you don't deserve. And our egos, that soulish part of man, does not like that, nor does he enjoy that. Uh, as I look back over my life, and I found this to be consistent with a lot of other people in different, even different walks of life. It don't have to be church. But they'll all, I've heard this saying over and over, and you may have experienced this, and I hope you haven't, but, uh, but I surely have. seems like the people you've done the most for the people that you've helped the most, the people that you've given the most money to, the people that you've reached out to, those are the people that seemingly like will, will reject you at some point and, and, and turn from you and, and hurt you and, and act like you never even, uh, you didn't do nothing. Anybody else found that to be true? And one of the reasons I believe psychologically for that is because they know that they were not deserving uh, in all of that you did for them. And in and, 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 and their humanity, they feel that guilt. And, and it's not from God. It's, that's not, but that's what grace does to people that feel like that, that uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable uh, experience. And that's why some people try, they don't preach and, and declare what Paul did, the, the pure grace of God with nothing added. Uh, and that's why he so strongly in the book of Galatians rebuked those Galatian people for bringing the law back into what was free to them. In fact, he described it that someone has bewitched you, put a spell on you, and he rebuked them as strong as any epistle or any letter that he ever wrote to anybody. But when it comes to, uh, to, to our world, our, I hate to even use the term, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say today. The religious world, the, uh, the, you know, most people in America particularly, uh, when it comes to Christianity, their view is moralistic. Um, um, you know, I remember when I grew up in, in, in church and of course I went to a, a very, uh, I would have to say, uh, legalistic church. I was raised in that kind of a environment. I, as I said, my granddaddy was a, a, a minister and in his group, in his affiliation with that denomination, everything I remember was a sin. Uh, you couldn't do anything. Their favorite scripture was come out from among the world. And there weren't many places you could go to that wasn't they considered a sin. I remember hearing a preacher talk to my daddy when I was uh, 10, 11 years old and rebuking my dad for allowing me and my uh, younger brother to play Little League uh, baseball. And, uh, and, and it so confused my dad. And, and my dad and mom struggled many years. We never really had any kind of lasting time in any kind of church because they just couldn't live it. And nobody could. Um, you, you know, I remember in my early days, you couldn't, you know, my granddad never had a TV. You couldn't have a TV. I remember hearing them preach, you know, that you can always tell where the devil lives because of the horns that are sticking up, you know, from the roof. And you don't know what that means now in this generation, but they were talking about the antennas. And they said, that's where the devil lives. When you see his horns, you'll know he lives there in that house. And that's what they preach. It's the kind of stuff they preach, you know, and they preached about uh, length of dresses and women can't wear makeup and and the list just never ended. It never ended. And I remember later on when I was 12 years old, I joined a different 
uh, group of uh, believers. And I remember as I stood before the congregation, I don't mean this knocking them, I'm just telling you my life. But I remember being read the rules. And, and in fact, when you joined uh, our church, they would stand you down front and the pastor would read a long list of regulations that you had to agree to and give, and give uh, agreement to to be a member of that church. And I remember as a 12-year-old boy, this was, this was some of them. I'm not making this stuff up. I know to some of you this sounds so strange, you know. But I was glad to be part, you know. I mean, this is the rules. I won't tell me what they are. And uh, they said, you know, we are against the, the, the use of tobacco in any form. That always confused me because we had some farmers in our church that were members of our church that grew tobacco. But nobody seemed to, it seemed like such a contradiction. And as dumb as I was at 12, that didn't sound right. I remember riding with the preacher, going to, out to a, 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 one of the members' house and visiting him at, at the tobacco barn. But apparently it's okay to grow it and sell it. You just can't smoke, dip, or chew it. Anyway, it was so confusing to me, but that was one of the rules. They was also said, we, we are against, you know, picture shows. You go into the movies, picture shows. They called it picture shows. You can't go to the picture show. So I didn't even go to the movies until I was a grown man. And the first movie I remember going to was to see the Muppets. And, uh, and, and, and caught flack from some fellow parishioners for doing that. Oh, you shouldn't have went to the movies. And this is how I was raised. Uh, and I remember another one was we are against, you know, that we are against mixed bathing. Do y'all know what mixed bathing is? Anybody? What's mixed bathing? That's going to swimming with the opposite sex. So in our church, you couldn't go to the beach at all. Although Jesus hung out on the beach all the time as I read my Bible, but you couldn't go. You couldn't go to the beach. And I remember some people went. I remember one time I got so offended at my uncle, my dad's brother, because he went to the beach. And I was a young, grown man, married, and, and it just crushed me when I found out that my Uncle Jimmy went to the beach. Because I really looked at him like a wholeness person, you know, and he went to the beach. And I can't believe that. It broke my heart. And I'm serious. Man, I was messed up. I remember teaching the teenage class. And you know what those teenagers would always do to me? They would say, uh, Brother Dale, what, can, can we do this? And then they would fill in the line. Can we do this? And a lot of times it would, can we go to the beach? And I, I, and I, I said, well, you can go to the beach if you, if, you, if, you, uh, if you can go to the beach and not lust. I, I said, you think you can go to the beach and not lust? People that have no clothes on hardly? I said, let me ask you this. I said, can you go to the grocery store and walk up and down the aisles of the grocery store and not think of groceries? I said, if you can go to the grocery store and walk up and down the aisles, see how smart I was? I said, if you can go to the grocery store and walk up and down them aisles and not think about groceries while you're in there, then you can go to the beach. So what was I telling those teenagers? I'm giving them a rule. You can't go to the beach. And not only were these rules, these were rules that were prerequisites for entry into heaven. But then I found out that other denominations didn't have follow our same rules. So that created pride and arrogance in me because we're the ones that's got it right and bless their hearts, they're wrong. And I didn't know at that time that there's over 30,000 different denominations on the planet right now. And how is it that out of 30,000 different denominations that have their own rules and regulations of what it takes to get you into heaven, you just happened to land in the right one Aren't you fortunate that out of 30,000, you're in the right one? Welcome to Grace Point. We're glad you're here. Isn't that arrogant and prideful and religious and really not smart at all? God's so much bigger than all of that. Now, what am I saying today? Is, is morals and morality not important? No, there is an absolute healthy morality and it is uh, valuable and important and so don't mishear me today i'm not saying morality doesn't matter but i'm saying if you're trying to live a moral life in attempt to make yourself acceptable to god pleasing to god or gain interest to heaven then you are sadly religious and jesus spent great deal of his time when he came to earth and he began his ministry 
dismantling that moralistic view. Now, there's a lot of isms in the world. There's Satanism, communism, all kind of isms, but one of the most dangerous ones that nobody seems to address very much is moralism. And that is a very dangerous belief system because what it does is it pits you uh, where you feel like that you really, in other words, you can, you can achieve and attain moral perfection apart from God's grace and mercy. And I will tell you, you can't because grace is what saves us. And, 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 and so um, when, when you look at the trajectory of the New Testament and what Jesus did and taught, you'll see that the goal that he put out was not moral perfection, but rather union with God. And, and, uh, and so uh, uh, moralism is a reliance. Uh, I wrote down, uh, it's a reliance on yourself. You're relying on yourself. And, and these people that have all these rules and regulations um, they're very arbitrary. You, you, you can't, you know, it's so, it's so, it fluctuates from place to place. And, uh, but moralism that I'm talking about today is not merely the desire to live a moral life. Uh, moralism is a compulsion that you have to justify yourself and then thereby judge others. And uh, every group, uh, every church, every denomination usually begins this way, and, and I kind of get why they do. Uh, people are looking for something that's visible. People like to know what, what, where, where the line is, where they can stay in bounds, makes them feel good. Uh, they, they want something that's tangible, they call it, that, uh, and, and something that when they do it, it affirms them as a person. And uh, they, they, they want you to just to tell them what's required. What do I do, and what can I do, and what uh, can I not do? You know, and I used to get that question a lot, especially when I taught teenagers for years. You know, what can I do and still go to heaven? Can I do this, Brother Dale? Uh, you know, well, what if I do this? Is, you know, and, and they were always seemed to be uh, one. And, and the thing that I found out when I was immersed in that kind of thinking is I could never do enough. And if I was gut level honest with you, I never felt like I prayed enough, uh, fasted enough, read my Bible enough, done anything enough. And so it's a miserable way to live your life. Just miserable. And, and so Jesus, he, he, he uh, but it's a lot easier to try to follow a bunch of rules and regulations uh, than it is to undergo real true transformation that comes from your, your relationship with, with, with the Father. And, and, and Jesus, it's no wonder that he's so strongly, I mean strongly, he warns against all this stuff. Um, he, he said, don't do these long public prayers. He rebuked them for that in Matthew 6. Uh, he said, your public acts of generosity uh, and, and you going around fasting with your face disfigured where people can know that you're fasting. Jesus said, don't do that. He rebuked them for that. And yet uh, they, they, they still did it. Uh, and in fact, he, Jesus went on to say that when you, when you do your charitable deeds uh, and you do those before men, he said this in Matthew 62, he said, know this, you already received your reward. Because that's who you were doing it for, in other words. You were doing it for men. Men noticed you. There's your reward. And, 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 and that's what you got, and that's, that's what you wanted. But, but moralism, it, it causes us to, to live our lives independent from God's grace and mercy. And, and you, you, most of you in business world especially, you've heard this analogy probably uh, many, many times. Carrot and stick. You know what carrot and stick theology is? You know, if you do good, you get the carrot. If you don't do good, you get the stick. That's how they do on your job, right? You do good at work, you get a carrot. You do bad at work, you get the stick. Come, come on now, that's, the, that's how the, the, the world system mainly operates, you know. Uh, it, it, that's a human, humanistic way of approach. But when you bring that into to religion, into Christianity, then, then it's going to make you never be pure enough, never holy enough, never... Uh, and, and then what happens to the clergy, people like me, then my job becomes just, I'm a sin manager. I come on Sunday to try to, you know, get you not to do it. And uh, sin management. And, and I'm going to tell you that sin management mentality has kept the clergy busy, quite busy for many, many years. And by the way, it's never worked, but it keeps them busy. Uh, the, the good news and that's what we want. The good news of Jesus, the incarnation of God becoming man, it's a, it's a spirit-based 
morality. It's not rules and regulations. And, 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 and we're not motivated by outside force or manipulation or reward or punishment or carrots and sticks. And, and they're not helpful at all anyway. But Because uh, it, it, our life, our relationship with God is not about following rules. It's not about our behavior. But it's actually our identity with God. That I'm in him and he's in me. And that brings radical change in our lives. And when we do good deeds and we do charitable deeds. And, we do, and I pray we do all those things. And when we do those things, we're not doing them to be seen of men. We're not doing it so we can say, uh, I, I want to, I blessed you and all. Can I, get a, can, we get, can I get a selfie with you? And then here you are posting it on social media so that you can get the accolade and the, and the you know, to me that's, that's just, I mean, the Bible says if you're going to do good, don't let your right hand even know what your left hand's doing. That's pretty secret right there. And don't do your good deeds before men. And sometimes there may be a need to post something on social media to promote something you're doing. I don't mean, but, but, but you know why you post it. If you've done something good for somebody and you posted it, if you, if you want people to go, oh, that was so sweet, you know. Jesus said you have your reward. You just got it. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we do things because they're true and loving. And not because we do them because we're afraid of punishment and fear. And, and so, you know, we're not driven, you know, from the outside. Um, uh, that, you know, but we're, but we're drawn to do those things from the inside because of who, who lives in us, uh, who's in us. Amen? Amen. Come on, give me praise. You know, and see, the thing that makes this stuff evil is, you know, and, and I, I grew up, I mean, I've seen this a lot, this moralistic view, it, it creates an ego-driven, moral, high-ground uh, position. It, it causes you, if you're not careful, you to feel s superiority over another person. And, uh, and, and Jesus really goes against this hard. Um, it, it, it'd be like this. And I'm not making this uh, an, uh, comment. Anyway, it'd be like this. You know, one person in the church, you know, would say... Not this church, but I've heard of churches that might, might. But they would say, well, I've, you know, I've not had an abortion, and you've had an abortion, so therefore I have the moral high ground, you know, when it comes to that. That's, that's so wrong. Or I've never committed adultery, you know, on my spouse, but you have, so I hold the moral high ground. And the ego loves that, but it's arrogant, and it's, it's not the heart of the Lord, uh, uh, to, for you to feel superior because you haven't done those things. And, and what I call that is, uh, you know, we always say in the South, uh, a lot of us, uh, we'll say she acted or he acted ugly. Anybody besides me, that's a, you know, they acted ugly. They don't say that up North, I found out, but we, we Southerners, we say, they don't say that in New Jersey, do they? <laughs> they don't say, you, ain't never, you didn't grow up here and say they acted ugly. They might say they was ugly, but they didn't say they acted ugly. <laughs> But in the South, we say they acted ugly. My grandma said, that, don't y'all act ugly. Don't act ugly. And, and so I call that ugly morality. Uh, it, it may be moral. It may be, in other words, when you look at it, you can't come against it. It's moral. They're, they're doing the rules. But it's ugly. It's not based in love. And, 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 and Jesus points that out so strongly in Luke chapter 18. And I want to read that for you, verses 9 through 14. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. They'll put it on the screen for you, and here it goes. Jesus says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Do you see a problem already? What are they trusting in, God? No, they're trusting in themselves. And so Jesus said, I want to address this issue for all you guys that are living this moralistic view, and you're trusting in yourselves. And it said they're trusting in themselves that they were righteous, and they despised other people. They felt like they had the moral high ground. I'm better than you because I hadn't done drugs, and you've done drugs, so I'm better than you. I'm closer to God. There's no such thing as that. There's no such thing. You know, you still hear that. I still hear that, and it breaks my heart. I don't hear it out of you Grace Point people because I think I about beat that out of you in a loving way. I had not beat you. But, you know, I, I, I grew, I, I just don't want you to have to suffer from ignorance like I have done. And I ain't got it all figured out. But I don't, pray, I don't spend any prayer any longer trying to get closer to the Lord. And Christians are all over the media. I just want to be closer to the Lord, Brother Dale. 
And I always ask him if that happens in my office, and it does occasionally still. I just want to be close to the Lord, Brother Dale. I said, well, how close are you to this building? That's what I ask them. <laughs> Ain't that a good? I said, how close are you in, to this building? And they'll just look so confused. What? I said, I, I said that's a, I'm asking, I'm waiting for an answer. How close are you to this building? Well, I'm in it. You're in Jesus. You can't get closer to the building. You're sitting in my office. And you can't get closer to God because you're sitting in Jesus. If any man be in Christ, you ain't got one foot in Christ and one foot out. I mean, you in him. Being in Jesus is like being pregnant. You ain't a little pregnant. You is or you ain't. You're in Christ. You just don't know you are. And the reason you don't know you are sometimes because you don't feel like you are. And I don't know if you have days like me, but some days I really do wake up, feel unsaved. I'm not happy. Once in a while, I'll be grumpy. One says to you, would you leave the sanctuary while I finish this part? <laughs> I'm saying our bodies, the things we deal with, the pressures of life, making a living, dealing with problems, you know. It just gets tough sometimes. And you can always find something to fuss about, to pick about, you know. You, you can't, we all can. And listen, and you know when that really gets worse? It's when you're tired, physically, mentally exhausted, you're hungry, get a sandwich. I mean, come on. I mean, but really, seriously, those things, boy, you can be really, you can be a, you can be a, you can be a handful. And your spouse will tell you. I said something to Jill yesterday. She was uptown, you know. And I have my moments. I had a lot of things, a little pressure going on there at the house, the situation. And, uh, and so I just said, you know, I was a little bit snappy. Was I a little snappy? Jill said, do you want to you start that? You want to start over? <laughs> she, that's what she said. She said, you want to? Well, y'all think she's all a little sweet mind. She's a tough woman right there, buddy. You don't mess with her. She said, you, she's talking about, whoa. You want to start that again? <laughs> and boy, that brought me into check. And I said, <clears throat> I said, hey, darling, how are you doing? <laughs> she said, that's better. And I said, well, you've called me three times in 30 seconds. She said, well, I needed you three times in 30 seconds. <laughs> I said, okay, what is it, darling? What do you need? And like she goes to the grocery store. It's like now, when she goes to Publix, I'm like, I'm braced for it. Okay, she's going to get groceries. Now, she done looked all through the pantry in every freezer and refrigerator to see what we're out of. But somehow, when she walks into Publix, she loses that. <laughs> you know you do, girl. And she'll call me ten times. Check and see if we got any pickles. And I have to get up and go back in that. What I'm doing? Yes, we got pickles. Are they sweet? Are they coat? What? And then I, well, go check the date on the milk. Do we, do we have, you know. And you don't, you, you probably guess it. I don't have anything that's irritating that I do that to her. <laughs> and can I say to you that every one of us in our marriages, in our relationships, we all deal with stuff like that. And you have to kind of check yourself and remember that, that, you know, in our lives, everything's not going to be this slick, perfect, all the time. It's just, you're going to have to work at some stuff. You know, we've been married now, uh, i got to get this right, I should have wrote it down, um, <laughs> 43, 43 years, over 43 years. Uh, and you don't do that without trying. You, and I'm not bragging on myself, like, but I am saying it's worth, it's worth trying. And then we've got a lot of people that's gone through divorces. If you've gone through a divorce, I don't have any moral high ground on you. I, I never knew how nasty divorces were or could be until I saw some of my, my children go through it. And I got to see it up close and personal. And I saw the damage and the hurt. And, and I saw all the tentacles that go out to relationships that I didn't even know existed. That, you know, people's way out here getting hurt. 
And not only is people way out there getting hurt, people way out there are choosing sides. And why do they feel like they have to choose a side? Why do I have to, you know, be, be against this one and for this one? And, 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 you know, and cut off relationship. I mean, it's so heartbreaking. And that's why God says, I hate divorce. And he says it in his Bible. Why? Because God loves his kids and he hates to see them hurt. And God don't want people hurt. But he don't hate divorced people. And, and people that have not experienced a divorce are not on any moralistic high ground uh, that you, you don't hold. But yet, in our church systems, look how that happened. My, my own father-in-law was part of a church, and, 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 and it was one of them voting churches, you know? You ever heard of them? And so they voted him in as Sunday school superintendent. And then after he's in and holding office, then somebody stumbled upon the information that Jill's mom his, my, my pop's wife had been married previously. And in that previous marriage had, had Jill. And oh, now we can't have him as our Sunday school superintendent because that's against our rules. And so they removed him from the Sunday school superintendent. Now this part might shock you, but my mother and father-in-law left that church. <laughs> And can I say that that was a wise decision? Can you imagine how embarrassing, and that's what it was to him? And not only did you hurt him, but you hurt something way worse than him. You hurt his wife. And you made her feel less than, and like she was moralistically low ground because she had previously been married and gone through a divorce when she was in the Marines. And as young people do sometimes, she, you know, she made a spur-of-the-moment decision in and, and military life, and it just didn't work out. And I'm not saying that's the way it always with military people by no means, but in her case, he was in Japan, she's in the States, it just didn't work out. And it wasn't sustainable. And, and it ended in a divorce. But it ended in a precious gift that sits on that front row right there. <laughs> a precious gift. Because had it not been... Uh, for that relationship, I wouldn't have her. And, uh, and, 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 and man, I'm getting some points today. Uh, don't you forget all this. Buy the tape on the way out, okay? Uh, <laughs> but ver back to verse 10. I'm sorry, Karen, I hadn't lost my... But it says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector over here. Uh, I fast twice a week. Uh, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing, now Jesus is the one doing this story. He's telling this parable. And, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you that this man, that, that, that sinner you called, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And, and Jesus constantly was dismantling this moralistic view. And it seems like we got one person, if you look and take the picture, one of them is morally precise, morally correct. They follow in all the rules. They, they look the part. They talk the part. They, 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 they're not breaking anything that you can verbally maybe see moralistically, and here's a person that obviously is, is breaking the rules or whatever, and they don't measure up to the religious standard. But Jesus said, this is the one that's right, and you don't get it. And he was always pointing out that, the, that it's not the moral majority, as they're called, but it's the immoral minority is the people that really get it most of the time. It's not the moral majority. I, and, and Jesus is not touting, you know, live immoral lives. No. Uh, you, you, all you got to do is read the Sermon on the Mount. No, that's not his point at all. He's just simply saying, you missed the point. You think you're accepted by my Father because you obey the rules. And those rules actually keep you from my Father. And so Jesus dismantled that with the, with the parable of the, the prodigal son. And, and you've got to remember that the parable of the prodigal son uh, was not about the prodigal son. Sons, plural. 
It was about Jesus dismantling their moralistic view because the reason Jesus told the parable uh, is because he, he was asked a question and rebuked by the Pharisees, and they said, this man eats with sinners. And at the response to that, Jesus told the parable. And the parable was about a lost coin. Lady had lost a coin. It was about a lost sheep. And then he culminated with lost sons. And I say sons plural. Because the one that stayed at the house and the older brother that was moralistically correct, he was the most lost seemingly of all. Because you can be really lost in sitting in church. Don't shut me down. It's the truth. Jesus went into a house one time and a very, they called her a sinner. He went in, in Luke 7, uh, he went into a house uh, with a Pharisee. So Jesus didn't shun Pharisees. He didn't shun religious people. But he kept naming these four different groups. The main two was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus said, these are the groups that's going to kill me. These are the people that's going to put me on the cross. These people. Who put him on? Because listen to me. Listen to this statement. It's the absolute truth. The more moralistically minded you are, you will become at some point violent. You will become violent. Every religion on this earth is, is just about, including, you're not going to like this, the religion of Christianity. Violent people. It leads to violence. Not relationship to God. But when you become, the more religious you become, you'll become violent. You know, it's easy to jump on Islam. Oh, they, you know, violent people. Buddhists are violent. I've got a relationship with a pastor, Pastor uh, uh, Adidala. He's preached here many years ago. He's from India. He is uh, from the continent of India. And he spent his life, and, and, uh, and I really had him a lot when I was uh, pastor at Cornerstone. And, uh, uh, man, he, he said, I mean, those in, in Buddhism, they, they, they'll take those, can't, they'll, they'll, they'll beat people to death. They're very violent. Uh, you know, they, they can be. Um, and, 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 you know, and we could go back in history, I got to do this, no. but that's what religion does is what I'm trying to say is religion because then it makes you easy to be violent. And then if you attribute God as being violent, then you can be, and, and, and John told us, he's, John wrote and said that God said to him that there'll be a day that they will beat you. They will drag you to their temples. They will beat you to death, and they will say that they're doing it in my name. They're doing it in my name. That's what Paul did. You don't think Paul this becomes Apostle Paul? You don't think he was violent? You don't want to see Christianity violent? I mean, that's Paul with his religious view killing Christians. And he wasn't killing Christians because they weren't really known as that then, but he was killing followers of Jesus. And Paul was very violent, and it's clear in Scripture. He held the code of those that stoned Stephen to death. And, 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 and as Stephen was being killed, murdered, he called on the name of the Lord, and he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. That had a profound impact, I believe, upon Saul of Tarsus, Paul. Uh, he, I don't think you can ever forget that. When a person is being murdered, and they choose not to be retributive, but, but uh, they, they see their father. I think it's just so cool that he says, I see uh, Jesus standing. Because every other time in the, it says he's seated, seated. But when one of his children is being messed with, ain't no daddy can keep his seat in. And he was standing not only because of that, but he was standing to welcome him home into his arms. Amen? But, but this woman comes in in Luke 7, and she starts worshiping Jesus, pouring oil on him, crying, wiping his feet with her hair, with her tears. And, and Simon the Pharisee, he, he speaks in his heart. He didn't say it out loud. He said, if this man was truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus perceives his thought and looked at him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
I like how the King James says, and Simon says, say on. <laughs> say on, Lord. And he says, Jesus looks and points, or, you know, this, she's there, right there in there. Jesus says, Simon, and this ain't Simon Peter now, this is Simon the Pharisee. He said, uh, do you see, I love this scripture. I've always, it's been one of my favorite verses. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? Well, Simon didn't see that woman. He didn't see the woman. He saw her sin. He saw her addiction. He saw her promiscuity. He saw whatever. Sometimes we look at people and we don't see the person. We see what they're doing. We, we see their addiction. We see their, their sin. We see their abuse. or what. But Jesus said, I want you to really, do you see this woman? No, you don't see this woman. But I see her. You look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. That's what I see. And there's hope for this woman. Jesus received her worship, and he looked at her and said, Daughter, go your way. Your faith has saved you. Faith in what? Did she do the church rules? Did she get baptized? Did the right preacher dunk her under? Did you? No. She put her faith in what is salvation, and that's Jesus. It always seems that the ones that think you're so right are the ones that Jesus said you're so wrong. And the reason that is, is not because he doesn't love them people. He loves his Simon the Pharisee just as much as he does anybody else. But it, he just said, you guys have the hardest, most difficult time in seeing it. And they're the ones, like the older brother in the prodigal story. See, the pro there are so many people, man, if they're gut level honest, they hate that that story's in the Bible. Because here we got a dude that goes out, burns the money, he can't even wait till his daddy dies. He just said, I wish you were dead. That's what he's literally saying. I wish you were dead. I can't wait no more. Give me my portion. Give me my money. And so he takes the money. He don't need his daddy. He don't need home. He goes off. The Bible says he goes into a far country. He spends that money on wine, women, and song. And you're not supposed to do that. That's against the rules. And he blows all of his money. And amazingly, as all the money goes, so goes the friends. Anybody ever lived that life? You know? Everybody hanging around the drunk in the bar as long as he's buying drinks, but once he's out of money, you move on to somebody else. But So he, 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 he's not coming home because he loves Papa. He ain't coming home because he wants to go to church. He ain't, coming, he ain't coming home for no other reason other than he wants a meal for his hungry belly and a roof over his head. That's the only reason he's coming back to the Papa. Don't miss that. Now, Papa's looking for him, longing for him, wanting him to come home. And will never stop looking for him and will never stop seeking him. And it says, while he was a great way off, his father ran to him. There's only two places in the Bible that this word, this Greek word is used. And it said, his father fell upon his neck and kissed him. Now, remember, the boy's fresh from the hog pen. Probably don't smell good, look good, you know. Probably ain't brushed his teeth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, that's, but this is, this is the picture. He fell upon his neck. The only other place in the Bible that it says, this uses Greek word, fell upon them, is when Peter was in Cornelius' house in Acts uh, 10 and 11, and he's preaching to them, and the Holy Spirit fell upon all those people, all those heathen Gentile people, non-Jewish people, people that everybody else had done religiously rejected, but the Holy Spirit said, I can't take it no more, and he just fell on them. And kissed them. <laughs> that's God. Man, that's God. And so, so when, when, when uh, they, I mean, people hate that. And so not, not only did boy tries to go into the repentance mode. Oh, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Just give me a place in the servant's quarters. You know, and, and, and the father don't even let him get that out. He's rehearsed it. But the father stops him and says to his servant, go kill the fatty calf. We're going to throw a party. Father gives him the best robe. What do you think the best robe in that house? Who wore the best robe in that house? Papa did. So he took his robe off, put it on his son, gave him uh, shoes for his feet because uh, uh, slaves didn't have shoes, so he, you're not a slave. He gave him that, put a ring on his finger. Was just You know what that symbolized? Blank checkbook. Here's some money. You're going to need some money. So here's a blank checkbook. Gave him the ring because they would seal the uh, uh, ring and he could bind the father financially with that ring in wax and all the, on documents and so forth. So anyway, and so father just totally just reinstated him as a son. 
When Paul said, you have not many fathers, this is how you know you don't have a father. When you get a lecture instead of a loving kiss on your neck, you have not many fathers. Fathers don't lecture. Fathers don't. No, you, you, you get received. You get loved. Paul said, you don't have many fathers around here. You have not, he told that to Timothy, you don't have many fathers. You got a bunch of people ready standing there to get you a lecture, but you don't have many fathers. Sad. I don't think we have a lot of fathers today, even in the church. Because when they come back, we want them to do penance, we want them to do this, you know, you need to do this, do that. We don't have many fathers. We, we need fathers. Because the Bible said in the last days, one of the last books of the Old Testament, and in the last days, the heart of the fathers would turn to the children. Notice the order. And the heart of the children would there in turn to their fathers. When a person that has blown their life is in the presence of a father, and I mean mother too, ladies, when you're in the presence of love, which is used and comes through a father or a mother who loves that son or daughter, no matter what they've done or where they've been or what they're up to. But when, the, when, when, that, when that child, that grown child, is in the presence of love, that's the most transforming thing. I've told my children and two of my boys are sitting back there. And I've told them, ain't nothing you'll ever do to make me not love you. There's nothing you're going to do, son, to make me not love you. Uh, and, and they sat there, and I couldn't say it if I hadn't told them. And that don't make me great. I'm just trying. That's coming from my papa. Because that's the way he is with me. There ain't nothing you can ever do, son, to make me not love you. And this is the shocker of all. And there's nothing you can ever do for me that'll make me love you more than I do right now. God don't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. His love for us is not based on our performance and our behavior and what we do. And I've told you that a hundred times and I'm going to keep telling you because that's the good news. That's grace. That's the gospel. And that's what this world is dying to hear. And even when they hear it, they don't believe it because it sounds too good to be true. And they have to hear it more than one time. And then they have to not only hear it, but they have to see it in us. And they have to receive it sometimes when they do show up and smell like hogs. That's when, they, that's when it matters in that moment how they're treated, how they're accepted. Are they given a lecture? Are they beaten? Are they put over here in the penalty box? Or are they just embraced and loved? And I want to tell you the people that have the toughest time with that, and they, they flat hate it, is that older brother that's moralistically correct stayed home and served and kept the rules. And he was the one that refused to go in. He would not go in, and so father said he went out. It said because the older son would not go in, the father went out to meet him. God always has been going out. To, we, God ain't been sitting on the porch waiting on us to come home. God is the one that's been going out. And, and he goes out and says, son, what, what, what are you doing here? I, well, I stayed here. I've served you. I've kept the rules. I hadn't done this. I hadn't, I hadn't committed adultery. I've paid my tithes. I've been to church every time the doors are And here he goes. And he said, and you ain't never given me no fatty calf. And he said, everything I have is yours. Only reason you ain't got a fatty calf because you ain't asked for one. You have not because you ask not. You, you ain't asked for one, son. Because you think you have to earn it. You think you have to deserve it. And you think I owe you. See, I've lived like that with God. Anybody besides me, and my, especially in my younger half of life, I thought God, I'd get mad at God because I felt like he owed me. I, I obeyed the scripture, I jumped through the hoops, I did X, Y, Z. Now, by God, you come through. Let the Brinks truck turn over in my yard. <laughs> and I'd get mad at God. I, I'm being honest with you. I'd be mad at God because I felt like he, he owed me. I, I, I've been a good boy. I've done the rules. I paid my tithes. What's my, what am I in financial trouble here? Come on. I thought you... And then I just chunk it all up on him. Am I alone in this rebellion? <laughs> but I've learned that's not how it goes. That's not how it goes at all. And, and see, my ego loves that. My ego loves to be stroked and 
you deserve this and you've earned this and you're you're righteous and you, you know and therefore God hears your prayers and you know and and, and you know I had somebody just two days two days ago said I, I want you to pray for this because I know the Lord hears your prayer and you can get a prayer through. I, I grew up on that. And I said, I will pray for you. This is one of my Medicare folks. I said, I will pray for you. But I want you to know that the Lord hears your prayer just as good and clearly as he hears mine. For the Father's heart is always open to his children's cry. But if you get in that religion, well, you get, you know, get that brother to pray for you. I tell you, he's close to God, Brother Dale. He can get a prayer through. Prayer through what? What are we praying through? Steel? What are we praying through? We ain't praying through nothing. I thought you said Jesus lived in your heart. Now you either believe that or you don't. And if you do, then you're not praying that yonder way. You're praying this way. All I do is get prayer through this cotton. Jesus? I mean, what am I getting a prayer through? It's ridiculous. There's no praying through no more. Don't give me the example of Jeremiah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, is it Jeremiah? 21 days, uh, 20, you know, prayer battles going on in the heaven, couldn't get a prayer through and all. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's old covenant. I, I need to remind you again, you're in the new covenant with better promises. When Jesus came, he dismantled this whole system. And this is what he did. He introduced a new definition of sin. The Pharisees said sin is when you walk too far on the Sabbath. Sin is when you eat with the wrong people. Sin And the sin, the people that's doing that and counting sins, the list don't ever end. I tried real hard in 1980, 81, 82, when me and Jesus first married. I tried real hard in the group that I hung with that said, we're the ones that got it right, everybody else got it wrong, and we're the ones going to heaven, and this is the rules you got to keep. And they said, you can't wear any jewelry. So I couldn't wore any rings like this. And I even took my wedding ring off because one brother in the church said, you can't wear that, it's jewelry. You got to take it off. And so I came home that day, little single wide trailer, me and Jill lived, and, and uh, she said, where's your wedding ring? And I said, I'm not going to wear it no more because it don't please the Lord and it's jewelry. And so then she just reached down there and pulled hers off and put hers on dress. I ain't wearing mine either. I'll wear mine when you wear yours. I said, doggone girl, you're too fine to be on the street without that thing on. I'm putting mine back on. <laughs> Heck with that rule. I just, just had a roll of dice on that rule. But I'm sincere, but I was sincerely dumb. I, I didn't own a pair of shorts. I've told you all this before. I didn't own a pair of shorts because the group that I hung with said, men can't wear shorts and you can't mow the yards with your shirt off. I went to the first family reunion. I told the same story to him. And we was in Myrtle, was it Myrtle Beach? With all them Texas people, all them all her Western family. And we all gathered at Myrtle Beach and for a family reunion. And we'd only been married six months or something, haven't we? And so I'm looking to all them like they're a bunch of heathens. But they out here with shorts on, got the shirt off. We was at the beach. But I'm judging them because I have the moralistic high ground. I'm judging them. I didn't know I was doing it, but I'm judging them. I'm superior to them. I'm holiness. And they're heathens. I'm going to heaven. They're going to hell. If the rapture happens now, I'm the only one leaving. They're going to stay in the water. And I believe that with all of my heart. So I swam in the ocean because I've always loved the beach. I've always loved the ocean. And I so hated it. God had a rule you couldn't go to the beach. Because I always loved it. And so I'm out there with blue jeans on and a t-shirt swimming in the ocean. And I'll never forget, man, them jeans got heavy. And I'm out there about half to drown. And, and her cousins, them good Baptist cousins of hers, them good Baptist people was looking at me like I was the biggest nutcase. And they were looking with pity and, and, and you know, sorrow that Jill had picked a nut <laughs> to marry and to bring into our family, we now have a religious nut amongst us. And I'm looking at them like, well, y'all are ones that's all going to hell. Got here half naked, and I'm, at least I got clothes on. I can't swim, but I got, I'm look, I, it's stupid. I can't believe, when I look back on that and I tell that story, and I'm not telling it just to be funny, I'm telling you, I believe that. I believed it. And she knows, I, I mean, I put her through some rough stuff, man. 
in our first few years because I was trying to require a moralistic view so that we'd be accepted, so it would be right. And oh my God, when I got to be a preacher, that, amp, that up to Annie. Well, you know, because a lot of we, and I remember standing, at, you know, at, a, at an evangelistic campground, they called it, and on Thursdays, all the evangelists, and I was an evangelist for six years, but all the evangelists would kind of book up a lot of times for the whole coming year. And I'd preached a revival out from a town in, in uh, Savannah called Rinkin. And, and it was a really, God was really good to us. And so there was a pastor in Savannah, in a, even a much larger church. And he'd come up to me. Jill wasn't by my side. He was standing there. He said, Brother Young, I heard about that revival you run up at Rinkin. And what a great time y'all had and how God blessed you. And, and, and the ministry was so wonderful. And I want you to get to my church in Savannah as quickly as you can. I, I want you to come run a revival. Would you run me a revival in Savannah? I said, yes, sir, I'd be honored to. And he said, well, let me get my book out and you get your down. Let's, 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 let's nail down a date here. And about that time, Sister Jill walked up, looking all pretty, got her little makeup on, her little earrings, just looking pretty. And he looked over there at her, and all of a sudden he went, he wasn't speaking in tongues, but it was close. I need to get back to Savannah and make sure I get the, you know, so I don't, you know, double booking. But I'll call you, Brother Young, as soon as I get back to Savannah, and we'll, we'll, we'll get it down. I'm still waiting on that call. That call never. So not only is he, he's a liar too. <laughs> he lied. And, and, and the whole thing was, because when I looked at his wife, she, and that's fine. She didn't have one speck of makeup on. She had her hair piled up high enough that you can't go under a ceiling fan with it. And, 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 and her dress, you know, was long, and her sleeves was long. And that's fine. And that's fine, because I don't have to sleep with her, go home with her, and look at her. But that ain't what I signed up for. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying one is right and one's wrong. I'm saying that's what religion does to you. And so there that guy is bound by all of that, and he refused to revival, because my wife looks different than his. I'm trying to tell y'all, that's what moralistic view does. And that's not the Lord. Jesus redefined sin, not as something you do or don't, you know, that you do. Jesus said sin is this, guys, trying to live without a papa. It, it's, you're lost. You're just like a lost coin, and you're like a lost sheep and a lost son. And what he says, listen, in all three of these parables, Jesus said, the woman with the lost coin is going to look for it and keep looking until she finds it. The, the man with the lost sheep, he said, I will look for that lost sheep, not till you die, not till I get tired, not till I give up on you, because God don't got no give up. God said, until he finds it. He's going to look for that lost person until he finds it. And it's really them finding him, because God knows where we are. And I'm going to look for that lost son until he finds it. And so he redefined sin as trying to live independently without God, without grace, without mercy. You can't do it. Second thing he did is he redefined your value. God said, you are valuable to me even in your lostness because you don't look for something that don't have value. So even though you're lost, even though you're addicted maybe, even though you have these issues, God loves you the same. And he's going to keep looking for you, and he values you so much that he, would, he, he died. So he, he died. And, and, and then... That, that's what Jesus did. He redefined what it means to be saved. And he said salvation is not saying the right prayer. Salvation is not being hooked up with the perfect little group. Salvation is not got your rules lined up. with. He said that's not salvation. Salvation is union with the Father. Salvation is when you trust in him. And you're not trusting in your own moralism to get you home to be with Papa. You're trusting in Jesus, who is at home with the Papa. And, and you're in him, and he's in you. Come on, stand with me. Would, did you receive it today? Bless the Lord real good. Amen. I hate to have to tell you all that bad news. <laughs> Can you believe that this world, what I just preached, would you, listen, just think about it in your heart. Just people you know out there, wherever out there is. Don't they need to hear that? Don't they desperately need to hear that? You know, their greatest chance, hope, better word, 
of getting to hear that, maybe. I'm not the only one preaching it by no means. I'm not even halfway saying that. But I'm saying people that you know. Do you know anybody that needs to hear that? That 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 that, that kind of good news might just awaken that Jesus is in their heart that they think is not there. If you know anybody that needs that, come. And you know, I'm not trying to just have a big old bunch of pile of people to preach to. I, I ain't going to hate it. But people need to hear that. And the greatest chance of them and hope of them getting to hear it is if you invite them. And that's not a rebuke to you. It's just, hey, wake up, guys. I know your life's like mine. It's extremely busy. And, and, and believe it or not, I invite people. My experience is my invitation for them to come to Grace Point is not as powerful as yours is. They think I'm inviting them because I'm the preacher, you know, and I want more heads to preach to. That's really not it, but I can't change their mind. But when you invite them, it's just calls out of sheer love for them. And they're a lot more apt to come. And so I don't mean that as a rebuke to you or a burden to you, but just please invite people. We got a lot of neat ways we can do that now. You can do it on social media, you know. You, you can do it in a lot of ways. If you need a course on it, get with Howard Goldstein. He can teach you on how to bring people to, to church. And I mean that sincerely. And I'm not trying, but he does know how to get them there. And he don't he don't care. I mean he does care. That's why he gets them here. But Okay, I'm straightening it up. I'm sorry. I messed it up right there. Howard extremely cares for people, and especially people that the world would call the down and outers. He especially has compassion and care for them. Now, he may rub some people the wrong way because he don't pet religiously. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. You know, I remember the rocking chair story, preacher sitting there, you know, rocking and he was visiting with a member, and their cat was piled up, laying right there by him. And so the preacher was rocking, and he would just, you know, stroke the cat, you know. And the owner, you know, the cat, you know, the cat was getting irritated. And, and uh, she said, Pastor, uh, you, you petting that cat the wrong way. And, uh, you know, you're going against the, you know, you're petting him the wrong He said, well, let the cat turn around. <laughs> That's called repenting. It's not that we pet, God's petting us the wrong way. We, we, we're just facing the wrong way. We, we need to turn around. Turn around to what? Turn around to him. Amen? I love you people with all my heart. I really do. I love preaching this. I feel so good once I've told you good news because it is the gospel, which means good news. This world desperately needs to hear it. Please help me. Let's us together try to get people in this building, in this facility, so that they can hear that. We welcome you. This is a wonderful, unique place because we want you. We do love you, and I believe I feel that with all my heart. I'm not trying to be uh, advertisingly here, but I'm saying it don't matter what race you are. We are a multiracial, multicultural church and proud of it, not arrogant of it, but we're proud of it. We don't deny it. Uh, we not, you know... We're not trying to, you know, get this many, this color, and this many. I don't even know. All I know to do is love people best I can and preach the truth. That's all I know how to do. I don't know how to build no church. I don't, I've never known how. I don't know how to do any of that. What, what's your plan? Love God, love people. What, 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 what other plan is there than that? I don't know what to do. I have tried all kinds. You can believe in 42 years. I've tried all kinds of stuff. All kind of programs, all kind of this and that. And I would have to say to you honestly that the church never grew. We spent a lot of money on stuff, <laughs> but it never grew because of those programs. We, yeah, we got to touch the lives of some people. But what happens to people is when they're touched by you and they, they, can, they can come to a place that's strange to them, but it's not strange because you'll be here. And you'll say, well, I'll meet you at the door. Either I'll come by and swing by and get you or whatever it is. And they come here and you're waiting for them. And they accept with you, you know, and then you can pray that day, Lord, please don't let nothing weird happen today in this service. <laughs> Y'all know how that is, right? When you bring a guest, you know, it's something weird to go on, you know, like <laughs> somebody will speak in tongues or something. Oh, God, please don't let nothing weird happen. It's okay. They won't be upset by it, I promise you. But, but do that. Let's take it. Let, let, let's let's, let's uh, use these open hearts in this holiday season and around Christmas to, 
try to just reach out to people and, 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 and love them and, and invite them. Don't you, want, don't you with me want to see this place filled? I can't do it by myself. My elders, they, we can't do it by ourselves. Man, you don't think we've sat in office and had discussion on how we can get people to come here? But it don't matter. You, you can do all you want. All you got to do is Google how do people go to church and look at the stats. It's been consistent for 100 years. When you invite them, 80-something percent will come because you invited them to come. You reached out to them. And you might not even know that they're in a position. But sometimes I'll, you don't even have to go there no more. Just text them. Just say, I had you on my heart, and I want you to know that I would love for you, if you're not already in a, in, you know, in a church, to come to Grace Point. We would love to have you to visit with us and come and be part of a service. That's all I'm asking you to do. Would any of y'all help me do that? Amen. Would you raise? No, I'm just. <laughs> would you come in and meet Ron up front? He's going to have you sign in blood that you. Y'all can tell I like to cut up, don't you? I hope I don't offend you. If you're religious, so I, I can't do anybody. Amen. If you want prayer today, I'm going to be up here. I'd love to pray with you. I want to pray for you now and pray with you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for sending. The greatest gift of all, Jesus, your son. Thank you that he took sin. He didn't run from it. He didn't was too afraid to touch it. He embraced it. He ate with sinners. He ate with religious people. He loved them. He reached out to them. But he clearly made it clear. You're not saved because of your moralistic view. You're saved because of my father. And I pray that that revelation will come to us, the good news, the grace of God, that for salvation that has appeared to all men. It would be awakened in their heart and they would see and know you as you truly are. The love that you are for God is love. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Go enjoy your day. If you want prayer, I'll be down here. I'll be glad to pray with you.